Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that nobody needs to live with chronic insomnia and that cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI techniques, can help you enjoy better sleep for the rest of your life. Jeff is 46 years old and married with two children. His daughter is five years old and his son is two. He works remotely for a real estate investment company and in his spare time he enjoys trail running, exercising, golf and socializing with friends. Jeff often found it hard to fall asleep, especially when he was under a lot of stress. When he gained additional job responsibilities and became a parent, those difficult nights became more common and this led to a lot of sleep-related fear, worry and anxiety. After trying to implement cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI techniques, with the help of a book, Jeff continued to struggle until he started implementing CBTI techniques with the ongoing support and guidance of a sleep coach, me. Within eight weeks of implementing CBTI techniques, Jeff went from taking a sleeping pill every three to five days and managing to get around five and a half hours of sleep to averaging six and a half hours of sleep each night without any sleeping pills. Ten months after we stopped working together, Jeff is still sleeping well and feels far more confident about his ability to sleep. Furthermore, he now has all the skills he needs to get his sleep back on track should he ever struggle with sleep again in the future. In this episode, Jeff shares the specific CBTI techniques he found most helpful and why working with a coach proved to be the most effective way to recover sleep confidence, get rid of sleep-related worry and anxiety, and enjoy better sleep. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Okay, so thank you so much for being with us today, Jeff. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So can we get started by going back to the beginning? When did your sleep problems begin? And can you remember what the initial trigger was to your sleep, your sleep disruption? You know, it, it's, I was thinking about this question and it's hard to pinpoint exactly when my sleep troubles started, but I feel like for most of my life, I've really had some struggles falling asleep. And, you know, sometimes that means, you know, it can take an hour to 45 minutes. I think when things were sort of normal for me. You know, but that got a lot worse when I was under stress. And, you know, that feels like it was with me ever since I was probably uh, um, in my 20s or teens up until now I'm 46. And I was thinking back to, you know, one of the first triggers that caught my attention, which was I had started working in a job that I really enjoyed and I was getting a a little bit more responsibility in it and I just had was putting a lot of pressure on myself and I remember you know working toward one particular deadline and just being so anxious that I had to get 
this thing done. And I had one of those literal sleepless nights where I got no sleep and that had never happened. I mean, I had Mm -hmm. had nights when, you know, I had gotten three or four hours of sleep, but this was a night where my anxiety just built and built and built every hour, you know, and that was, I was watching the clock and getting more anxious, you know, the story with all this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just, I think about four or five o'clock in the morning, I just decided, well, I'm, I'm up for the day. So I'm just going to go into work. And I went into work and, you know, just started working about six in the morning. And, you know, my boss was real nice about it. I told him what had happened. and He told me to leave, you know, about 12 o'clock or one o'clock later that day. He was real sympathetic, but you know, I was really hard on myself and I said, you know, what's going on here that Mm -hmm. this has happened. This feels like a problem. And then fast forward, you know, years later, I hadn't had a night like that for a long time. And I've probably had six of those sleepless nights when I literally have had, you know, no minutes of sleep, no hours. You'll hear people say, you know, I had sleepless nights, but it was literally those, you know, half a dozen sleepless nights that began to get my attention. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think later, my son, I have two kids, my daughter's five, and my son is two now. And I think when my son was born, um, there were some new insomnia things that popped up for me, I started to get less and less sleep, you know, partly because of him, but also, there's more pressure and responsibility of being, you know, a parent of two kids and my job responsibilities got heavier. So I think it was just more stress and anxiety I was putting on myself that really kind of triggered this latest phase when I finally kind of found your course. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think a lot of people will really identify with your description there. You know, I just uh, finished recording another podcast episode with someone that their story is so similar to yours in that they recognized that they often had these nights where they struggled, you know, but that almost just became part of their life. They didn't actually worry about that too much. They just recognized that they were someone that every now and then they would struggle with sleep. But then they had this one night where they got no sleep. And that kind of raised the arousal levels, you know, that led to this more worry, like, oh, is, 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 has everything been building up to this now? Have I somehow like maybe lost the ability to sleep or something like this? And yeah. it was just the way it transitioned from just these occasional struggles, maybe just accepting that to this night of no sleep. And that's what kind of set everything into motion and just really perpetuated the problem. Right, right. Yeah, there's a lot of fear. I can relate to the fear of, you know, something's broken, something's not right. And, you know, the fear of, can I get this back? Do I have the ability to sleep normally again? And (laughs) it certainly break that a little bit to some degree. But, you know, joking aside, you know, you can you can get that back, as as I've learned. So did did you find the whatever it was, whatever the stress that was in your life or the worry that was in your life that was kind of triggering these occasional sleep issues and that night of no sleep, did that kind of then transition into you were finding that pretty much all of your worry and anxiety was related to sleep? Or do you think it was still related to whatever these external stresses were? 
you know, I think the, the worries about sleep came around as bedtime got closer. It's that sleep anxiety as it got to be bedtime. And that continued to build and get stronger as I struggled more with sleep. And, you know, as my, my son was a pretty good sleeper. My wife and I had more struggles with my first child, my daughter, because mm -hmm. partly we didn't, we didn't know what we were doing, but with my son, we, we handled that a little better, but you know, still, you know, after we got through the infant phase and he started teething and that phase was kind of unpredictable. So there was a little bit of uncertainty thrown in, even if I felt like I could fall asleep, there was this worry that he was going to wake up and whether it was my night or my wife's night to, to go and soothe him added some uncertainty today, that anxiety, but it was really just learning to how to deal with my anxiety and stress in life with, you know, a buffer period before bedtime. And that was one of the big things that was very helpful about your course is sort of learning how to cope with that at bedtime and taking, you know, an hour before I went to bed to wind down because mm -hmm. I never did that before. And that was, that was a big difference. Yeah. On that note, isn't it really interesting that especially as parents, we recognize that we can't put our kids to bed when they're in hyper mode, right? If they're running around the house, we, we recognize as parents that we need to, there's no point trying to put our kids to bed right now. They need to right. relax, right. maybe read some books, but yet we never kind of transfer that recognition onto ourselves, right? We're kind of, we're quite happy to go to bed and try to sleep when we're still feeling really wound up by the day. Like it's, we just don't take our own advice. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the kids get treated with, you know, the utmost care and we tend to neglect that part of ourselves, especially as parents. Yeah. And, absolutely. you know, just not having the tools or knowledge of how to take care of myself around sleep. I don't, you know, that was part of it too, is this education around how do I help myself get to sleep, you know? And that was, huge and and taking your course and learning those tools to mm -hmm. teach myself how to do that that was a mm -hmm. big deal so would you say that when when you were going through like the height of your struggles with sleep was your was your main issue just trying to fall asleep at the start of the night or was it more to do with you'd wake during the night and then find it hard to fall asleep or or maybe or maybe both definitely falling asleep for me i almost never had trouble falling back to sleep you know occasionally a few times when my kids were waking up in the middle of the night and I'd go in and soothe them and put them back to sleep but almost always for me it was falling asleep once I could get to sleep I was in good shape yeah. but that initial anxiety of just getting to sleep was was always my issue mm -hmm. so before you found my online course before you found out about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia techniques. What kind of things had you done, if anything, to try and get your sleep back on track? That's a good question. Well, you know, eventually I, I did talk to my doctor about it, my, my general practitioner, um, primary care doctor. And I think I'm trying to remember Tamazepam was the last medication that he prescribed to me that was a benzo. But I, you know, I, I don't like to take medication when 
when I don't, you know, I do anything I can, especially around sleep, to not take any medication. And I, over the years, I think I've taken some over-the-counter medication, you know, those things you can get at any drugstore, and those were very limited and always mm -hmm. felt, you know, lousy the next day after taking those. But um, there was one anti-anxiety medication that I also took before, temazepam, and I forget the name of it. You may know it, but... It, it was never really good for sleep. It was more about treating anxiety, but I just never felt good the next day. I had cotton mouth and felt like I was hungover for most of the day. But the temazepam, I started using it sporadically, and eventually I got up to where I was using it, you know, two to three times a week. And that's when I really started to worry mm. that I knew that it was going to wear off and that I wasn't going to be as affected. I was going to have to take more of it. I didn't want to go down that path. So I was looking for anything to get me off of that and just to learn more natural techniques to put myself to sleep. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say this to me, you know, a lot of people enroll, start working with me and they're, they're actually already taking medication, maybe even been taking it for years. Um, and it's interesting because some people vary in their response. So some people, uh, these sleeping medications, they're just not working anymore. And other people are like, I take these sleeping medications. So when you look at my sleep logs, my sleep journal, it will say that I'm getting sleep, but it's medicated sleep. So it's not the same. But the commonality here is that I think everyone kind of just doesn't want to, they recognize that it's not helpful to be relying on this medication. You know, they, right. they, they kind of just want to get off it, which I think it's almost like when you read in the media, people are just like, well, people can just take a tablet, then they'll sleep and they'll be fine. What's the big deal? You know, but in, in yeah. reality, when that's you, you know, you don't feel comfortable relying on something or believing that you can't sleep unless you take, whether it's a pill or a supplement or any other kind of like sleep crutch. Um, you just want to get to that stage like, like you were before, before you had any problem with sleep where you just don't really think about sleep, don't worry about sleeping, you just have confidence in your own ability to sleep. Yeah, it's full, it, you know, medication is just fool's gold around sleep because it's never going to be a good long-term solution, even if it gets you to sleep, you know, for six months. Or I think I had been taking my temazepam maybe for four to five months or so. Mm -hmm. And I just knew... I just needed to find a way to get off of that. So I was, you know, looking for different, different alternatives. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can talk more about some of that, you know, when we get into this more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on to that then. So, I mean, you found out about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. I'll just refer to it as CBTI from this point on. Um, but I believe that you didn't find out about CBTI from me originally. You found out about it from another source. That's right. I, you know, I had a, a I, it was, I, I can remember it vividly. I went to, I was going to a therapist to try and get some support around this insomnia and some other anxiety issues. And she recommended Dr. Greg Jacobs' book, which I know you know about, the mm -hmm. Say Goodnight to Insomnia. And I got it. I read it. I was very excited about it because the concepts in there made so much sense. And right. they're, they're somewhat similar to your course 
um, a lot of the techniques. And I started to read it and to work the course and I got stuck. And, and he actually has, Dr. Jacobs has a method where you can sign up for emails with him, but <laughs> it's, it sounds like a joke, but they're limited to like two sentences. You could send him like one email per week and it was limited to two sentences. And it just didn't work for me. It was very frustrating because I had so many questions about different ways to approach the techniques mm -hmm. and I just felt like I was on an island that I didn't have the support I needed because, you know, and I, I had this experience in your course, but you were quick to explain that this was just part of the process. I had these nights, I'd have some good nights, like two or three good nights, and then I would have a really bad night or two in a mm -hmm. row. And it would throw me off track. I would get really discouraged and say, you know, this isn't working. And, you know, looking back on it, it, it was working, but I just didn't have that long view on it because I was right in it. But mm -hmm. I had a night when I got no sleep. I got, again, no hours of sleep in this um, book course that I was doing. And I might may have been in the second week or the third week. And I just didn't know if I was doing it right. And I was so frustrated. I felt like that was my rock bottom that led me to your course. So I, it was about four in the morning and I knew, you know, my night sleep was shot. So I just got on the computer and started looking. What I was looking for was some kind of support group a chat room or something online, some kind of forum where people could kind of commiserate and share experiences. And I found your website and I looked at the forum briefly, but I, I more looked at the coaching piece and I thought, wow, it's, that's quite a concept. I just hadn't seen that before. And that's, I was just like, this is it. This is what I need. I need this personal piece to the, to the course and the process to help me along because I couldn't do it by myself. So that's what led to me signing up. Yeah. I think that you made a really, a really important point there in the, a lot of it is this just having that person or having access to someone just to give you that support, the reassurance, just to know that you're implementing the techniques correctly and appropriately and just to keep you motivated and go, to go through it because right. the techniques themselves are relatively straightforward and you can learn all the CBTI techniques in any number of books. There's plenty of books out there and Jacob's book is definitely one of the better ones. Um, but because when you're implementing these techniques, they at first can also seem counterintuitive, right? How does the idea of getting out of bed How's that going to help exactly. me get more sleep? You know, for example, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like things like that. Yeah. I think you've got to be so self-disciplined and really self-motivated and really just have a lot of confidence in what you're doing to just do it alone because it can be so challenging. And I think that it really does make a difference just when you've got access to someone to help address any questions or concerns you've got, keep you motivated. And, also, a lot of clients tell me just to keep, give me that accountability, you know, because I know that at the end of the week or at the end of every two weeks, I'm going to have someone looking at my sleep diary and making sure that I'm following the sleep window, that I'm implementing the techniques I'm learning. And I think it can make a really big difference. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's so many points in the course where 
there's just a lot of nuance and needed clarification on, well, and I'm a, I'm a detail oriented person. So I appreciate the attention to detail around certain things and that, you know, the getting out of bed every minute rule was, was so tough mentally just because you knew you weren't going to get, you know, if you get out of bed that you're probably out at least 45 minutes of sleep because you're up for 30 minutes and then getting back in bed and taking at least 15 minutes to fall back asleep. But just the, what you brought coaching piece was that, Hey, this is not supposed to help your sleep tonight. It's about the long term and going to help you, you know, long term. This is about building those associations. And that was key just to get that personal feedback on that. Yeah, that's really important to bear in mind. So this technique is it's known as stimulus control. And we're basically just trying to get you to relearn to see the bed as a place for sleep, you know, and relaxation, just like it was in the past before you had any sleep issues. And the way we do that is by making sure that the only thing we do in bed is sleep. So anytime that we're in bed and we're really struggling, um, normally it's a better idea to just get out of bed until you feel relaxed and calm again and then return to bed. And just through repeatedly doing that, your brain kind of slowly learns that, oh, I can't just be alert and anxious and frustrated because he'll just get out of bed, you know? So over right. time, you learn to just reassociate the bed with sleep because you're, in the short term, yeah, it can definitely lead to a little bit less sleep. But you also can bear in mind that if you get a little bit less sleep that night, your sleep drive is still building. You know, so the urge to sleep gets stronger and stronger. So as long as you're still observing an appropriate sleep window, you know, you're not going to bed earlier in the day to make up for this additional sleepiness or staying in bed later. The urge to sleep is just going to get so strong that you will end up sleeping in your own bed, you know, and the need to keep getting out of bed during the night will just become will become less frequent. You'll need to do it less often. But over the short term, it can definitely be difficult. And it, I think it is really important to emphasize that to people that getting out of bed is not intended to help you sleep that very night. It really is just this long-term strategy to go back to where you were in the past, where the bed is effectively a strong trigger for sleep rather than worry, wakefulness, and anxiety. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, so you mentioned that that was one of the techniques that you initially struggled with. Was there, were there any other CBTI techniques that you found difficult, at least in the short term? I think, I think in the short term, adjusting my sleep window to such a small period of sleep, like five and a half hours, I think, mm -hmm. you know, the getting up at the same time every morning was not a big deal because I had gotten that down pretty much with my kids. Mm -hmm. I, I had gotten up at like five thirty or six every morning anyway with them to get in my exercise and just start my day. But, you know, if I was getting up at five thirty, going to bed, like initially, like having that more narrow sleep window, that was harder for me. Um, more mentally, just the idea that, okay, because I still had that hang up about I've got to get, you know, at least, you know, seven and a half, eight hours of sleep, I still had that myth in my head that mm -hmm. that's what I needed. Um, and that was a really key piece of information to understand because um, I found out that I don't need that at all. You know, seven hours, six and a half is good for me. 
And I never knew that, you know, I never knew that. But initially going to bed at like midnight or 1130, knowing that the maximum sleep I could get was five and a half or six hours. That was just tough mentally because I still had those old hangups about how much sleep I thought I needed. And, you know, struggling with that a little bit in the short term, I think was probably the, the second toughest thing in addition to getting out of bed you know, every 30 minutes and having those nights when you'd have to get up and out of bed, you know, a few times or three or four times and just had a tough night of sleep and just trying to keep the long view about that early on was, I think, the hardest part. Yeah. So I I think you just this second touched upon this, but what, if someone's listening to this and they're trying these, or they've tried in the past these techniques and they really identify with this idea that, you know, the thought of, only allotting five and a half or six hours for sleep. The thought of getting out of bed during the night when I'm struggling with sleep, that in itself is making me feel worried. Like, so how do you address, how would you address that if someone was with those concerns? Because you've been through that yourself. How did you get through it? How did you overcome those fears and those worries and actually implement the techniques? Well, you know, I think, and you explain it well in that eventually you move that sleep window back to to what becomes, you know, the more appropriate window for yourself. And I think just really kind of getting that concept in your bones, which is, it's hard, it's easy to understand intellectually at first, but just understanding that at a gut level, like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be tired for a little bit, but I'm going to start sleeping better. It's going to take me less time to fall asleep. And that happens you know, I feel like that it didn't take that long for the, for it to happen. Maybe, you know, three or four days or a week of mm-hmm. it's, you know, I, I got to be so tired that I would fall asleep within sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes 15 minutes in that range. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was proving to me once I started to do that, that was proving that this was working. And it was kind of a simultaneous understanding too, that I didn't need you know, those eight hour, eight hours of sleep to function. Um, Cause I like to exercise in the morning. I exercise about six days a week and I always had the, the thought fixed in my head that I must get a good night of sleep to be able to exercise. It's just not true. I mean, until I kind of went through it and found that I was able to exercise actually just fine on a lousy night of sleep, even if I got two or three hours of sleep, I still could pretty much do all of the workouts that I had done before. Um, I might be a little bit more tired. If I got two or three nights of tough sleep is when I usually felt it more, but kind of going through those experiences and learning that I was able to function much better without sleep than I had thought. And so much of that had to do with attitude. I can talk more about that because that was a really key mental hurdle to kind of just change my attitude around losing sleep. Yeah. You know, that's, that's really common among people with insomnia is there's a lot of fear and worry over how they're going to get through the next day. You know, so when you're struggling with sleep during the night, you kind of perpetuate the problem by worrying about how you're ever going to get through the day, or I've got all these, all these deadlines coming up at work. I need to be on my A game or I have a really important job. Like people are depending on me. I've got to be be at my best. But upon reflection, 
I think almost everyone with insomnia can recognize a number of times where they've actually they have got through the day after a really bad night of sleep. I, I like to say that people with insomnia are experts at getting through the day after little to no sleep. They're the best people in the world at doing it, but yet they're the people that are most worried about how they're going to get through the day when they're struggling with sleep. Yes, so true, so true. And, you know, I had, you know, when you keep that sleep diary and go through all those nights and you're so focused on how much sleep you get, you know, I got so dialed in on knowing how I would feel based on two hours of sleep or four hours of sleep or six hours or five hours. I mean, I could really tell, you know, kind of a difference between the different amounts of sleep I would get. And, you know, I noticed for myself, if I could get even four hours of sleep that I could do just fine, even on three and two, I could I could be okay. I, I knew I could get through the day um, without, you know, too much, you know, the, the tiredness would not affect me so much that I couldn't do my job and couldn't do the other things. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, just getting like four hours of sleep sounds like to, to a lot of people I talk to, they say, Oh, that's terrible. You know, that's, that's, that's no sleep at all. And I'm just like, it's actually not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I've had a lot worse after going through those nights of no sleep or two hours or three hours or whatever it would be. You kind of learn um, with those experiences, you know, how to, to thrive and, and just to, to operate on that sleep. And I think just going through those experiences is, is part of everybody's process. Yeah, and I think I think another reason why that can be so helpful, just recognizing your ability to get through the day is it's so easy and so tempting to modify our days or modify our entire lives around sleep, you know, so right. we might cancel plans with friends, call in sick to work and kind of take away all these things that we enjoy in life in response to the insomnia. So in effect, we're actually guaranteeing that our insomnia is going to have a negative impact on our, on our quality of life. You know, not to downplay it because long-term insomnia does definitely affect your quality of life. But we actually, on an individual level, have so much influence over those outcomes. If we can just kind of push through the day as much as possible as though the insomnia doesn't exist, this right. can actually help us recognize that the quality of our day isn't as connected to the quality of our sleep as, as we often think. And if nothing else, it gives us the opportunity to still enjoy our days or just have a few enjoyable moments during the day, which right. can just be such a boost to your overall quality of life. That, the other, and that's so true, and I used to be guilty of that, like not doing certain things, whether it was socializing or just doing things a little bit differently to avoid talking to people or... Um, you know, just almost like trying to conserve my energy because I thought, well, I haven't got enough sleep, so I need to conserve my energy. But the concept that was so helpful was that I'm building sleep pressure, the idea of building sleep pressure. And instead of conserving energy saying, you know, I'm just going to live my day to the fullest here because I'm building my sleep pressure. I'm one day closer to having a good night's sleep, mm -hmm. which was always true. And I had it was very rare for me to have more than two nights of poor sleep. Occasionally I had three in a row, maybe a few times, but 
I almost always would sleep well after a poor night of sleep, you know, one night or two nights. It was never more than that. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was kind of buoyed my confidence a little bit to know that no matter what, I'm going to be getting some sleep this night or the next night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, just going back to what you said earlier was, you know, when I asked you how you managed to get through that short-term pain when you're implementing the techniques, you know, the difficulty, the challenges associated with allotting less time for sleep and getting out of bed when you can't sleep. Um, because that's a, that's a big concern, quite rightly, for people with, with insomnia. But what I like to say to them is, yeah, that's definitely going to be unpleasant in the short term. You know, the idea of spending less time in bed, getting out of bed when you're struggling. But how, how is your life right now with insomnia? You know, probably not right. pleasant. But yet right now, there's no real end in sight because you're probably not implementing these evidence-based CPTI techniques that are so effective for people. So how about you just transfer your current situation, which is kind of unpleasant right now, but with no real end in sight, to an equally perhaps unpleasant situation. But the difference is there is that end in sight because you're working towards this long-term goal of just better sleep and more sleep confidence. So true. And I'm the type of person that I... I love to have a plan for, mm. for anything and just having a strategy or a plan for anything, especially a problem, you know, that, that I've identified having some kind of plan in place is so reassuring for me. And I feel like I can go through any short term pain if I have some kind of plan that, you know, I have some confidence and even if I'm not fully confident that it's going to turn out, you know, the way I, I hope it does in the end, if I have some confidence in it, which I did in this course, you know, it's so helpful because it's just like, I can get through this. This is only eight weeks. I mean, that's nothing. I mean, I can, you know, and having kids, you know, you can probably relate to this. Having kids helps that because you're like, man, I got through that first year of my first child, which was not easy from a sleep standpoint. It was the shock and awe campaign. Mm-hmm. And if I can get through that, <laughs> I can get through anything. So just having some of that experience. Yeah. I think the, the plan, like having that plan in place can definitely be really helpful. Like I like to refer to it as kind of this roadmap, you know? So, because I just feel that when you've got insomnia, when you're in the middle of the night, you're kind of by yourself, you're feeling quite isolated. So your mind's just going a mile a minute. You know, you have all these mental gymnastics. What can I do to help myself fall asleep? What should I be doing now? What should I do if this happens again tomorrow? You know, when you go, when you're implementing these CBTI techniques, especially if you're working with a coach or a therapist or another kind of someone else trained in insomnia, they can work with you and give you this roadmap. So it kind of just removes all that mental rumination. So you have a plan in place. You know exactly what to do. You know when the best time is to go to bed. You know if you're struggling, you know what to do. Uh, you know when to get out of bed. You know, you know, you just have that plan in place. You can kind of switch off all of that mental rumination, you know, kind of just engage your, this robot mind. You know, um, it's almost like computer programming language. You know, there's no room for doubt anymore. You have you have a question or a concern or or a doubt and there's there's an answer for it, like what you should be doing in in response. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a well-established process that's in place and I just need to follow it to the best 
of my abilities and I'm going to get some results even, you know, and, and when the struggles or doubts pop up, I think that's where having the access to you as a, as a coach to email and get feedback that's specific is so helpful to just clarify those things. And that sort of, you know, is like stepping on the fire of doubt when you, those fires start and you're like, Oh, I'm going to, put that out, put that doubt out, you know, it just eliminates all the doubts going forward as you go through it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you mentioned that, you know, the, the sleep window and stimulus control, the idea of getting out of bed, doing nothing in bed apart from sleep were quite challenging, but it sounds like you definitely found them helpful. Um, would you say that they were the two techniques that you found most helpful or were, were there any other techniques as you went through the course that you, you also found really helpful that maybe were a little bit less challenging in the short term? I think the, you know, the getting, getting out of bed um, is a technique that I still use. That's, I mean, that's a big one that's so helpful to get me to go back to sleep. That's a, that's a big takeaway from the program. The relaxation techniques, I think were helpful also to get me to pause my day to take 15 minutes out of the day to do a meditation mm -hmm. and do some relaxation. Those were very helpful. Um, I'm trying to think of some other, you mentioned earlier that about the buffer zone. Was was that something that you found helpful? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd put that up there. That you know, that and getting out of bed, the thirty minute rule, I think, are probably the two most important things. And I, I, you know, even to this day, if I don't if I don't take that buffer zone time for myself, whether it's thirty minutes or an hour or whatever it is. You know, some nights it doesn't have to be as long as others, but if I don't do that, I do find that I have trouble falling asleep still. Mm. But if I just go back to that process for myself, you know, it, it, it's just, it's so helpful and it really helps me to wind down and helps me to go to sleep. Um, and you know, there'll be nights where there's something unusual going on that kind of creeps into my usual buffer time. But I think the idea of like, I've got, you know, I used to have this such a fixated idea on I've got to get to bed by, you know, mm. X by 10 o'clock if I'm going to get my eight hours of sleep and just like it was just racing to get to bed. And that anxiety was just so useless because, you know, then I'd be in bed for an hour and a half and it's like, why not take 30 minutes to read, wind down and then get into bed 30 minutes later. Mm -hmm. And that concept was so helpful too so taking that buffer time even if i'm getting to bed later than i had wanted to and not being anxious about it is so key because knowing that hey if i'm going to get six hours maybe tonight versus seven but i know that that's okay and i can function absolutely perfectly on six hours of sleep no problem especially if i've had you know a week or three or four nights of good sleep before that it's it's not even detectable for me yeah i really i really like the buffer zone you know it's just for those listening that don't know what we're talking about it's basically just this period before you're planning to go to bed 
maybe half an hour or an hour where it's just you time. You know, you just you can do whatever you want as long as you just find it relaxing and enjoyable. And the, the it's pretty straightforward. The idea behind it is it's just that time for you to just unwind and relax. And it can also be really helpful because not only does it help you unwind and relax, but it helps you recognize cues for sleepiness. So, you know, you right. can, let's say the the activity you choose to do is reading. Um, as soon as you start to get those heavy eyes, you know, you see you're reading the same line over and over again, you, you can recognize those cues for sleepiness. And it just helps increase the likelihood that you're going to be going to bed when you're ready for sleep, not when you're tired, but when you're actually sleepy. Right, right. Yeah, and that the reading was my, and still is my, my go-to on in the buffer time. I've got some short kind of daily meditative readings. And then I have a book of some sort that is always interesting to me, but not, you know, doesn't get me too excited. Mm-hmm. And I like to read a lot of history and some of that I find fascinating, but also not, it's kind of perfect bedtime reading because it's not so exciting and thrilling, like, you know, watching something on TV for me that it, I do, I get those heavy eyes and I'm, you know, I'm on the same page for the last minute and that's when I know it's time. <laughs> it's time to start heading to bed. Yeah. And I think it was interesting what you mentioned, you know, that you emphasize that what's relaxing for one person isn't going to be relaxing for another, you know, so you like to read a type of book or there's certain TV you might not find helpful or certain types of programming you might not find helpful, but other people might like to, you know, watch an episode of the Simpsons or watch a documentary and that's perfectly fine. You know, it really is just whatever you personally find relaxing and enjoyable because we're not trying to generate sleep. We're just trying to help you unwind and just maybe recognize those cues for sleepiness. That's all it, all it's about. We're not kind of looking for something that's generating sleep here. So it really is whatever just works for you on an individual level. Yeah. And I had had a trial and error period for myself. Just, I did some music, um, listened to some soft music and, or I drink, drink some tea or something to help me. Um, and it always kind of came back to reading. So I had to really kind of figure out what was my best tool and technique for that time. But mm-hmm. I feel comfortable now a year later, kind of knowing what that is. Yeah. So we worked together for eight weeks in total. Um, was there a certain point as we were working together when you kind of things started to make sense, like the dots started to connect and you started to recognize that, hey, these techniques, some of them are difficult, but they're, they're, I, I can recognize that they're starting to work now. Yeah, I, I, I think in keeping the sleep diaries, I started to track and notice I'd get three or four nights of sleep that were really good, six and a half to um, seven hours of sleep. Some Some weeks it would be five or six nights when I would be at least six and a half hours of sleep. Um, just seeing that was a confidence builder and the time it took me to fall asleep on some of those, you know, sometimes it was even five minutes, which I know is unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was usually in that 10 to 15 minute range. And you helped me to understand that, you know, falling asleep within 30 minutes you know, up to 30 minutes was pretty average for people. And that was helpful because I always felt like, oh, you know, because my dad had the ability to fall asleep like immediately when his head hit the pillow. And I, 
I never could understand it. I think he was probably exhausted most of the time, and that was the reason. But I found out, you know, that's actually not very normal. Um, God bless people that can do it, but, you know, 30 minutes was more average. Yeah, and that is a common like misconception that people with insomnia have. They really believe many many of us believe that we should be falling asleep, you know, within five or ten minutes of getting into bed. Um, but in, in in the field of sleep, um, if you're falling asleep regularly within ten minutes, we would consider that excessive sleepiness, and yeah. that's not normally something we'd associate with insomnia. Because uh, the symptoms of insomnia are typically more related to fatigue, you know, this feeling of being worn out rather than actually struggling to stay awake. So if someone is regularly falling asleep within 10 minutes of getting into bed, that could be a symptom of some other some other issue that's going on. You know, typically we find that people fall asleep within around like 10 minutes to half an hour is the, is the average kind of range. Uh, so if someone, if I'm looking at someone's sleep diary and they're falling asleep within about half an hour, you know, that really is nothing, nothing to be concerned about because that's, that's quite, that's quite normal. And I think that's important to emphasize to people. I think too, going back to your original question about when did the light bulb go on a little bit for me, you know, when I look at my diary and see, Oh, I average, you know, six and a half hours of sleep or six six and three quarters hours um that that was big and and also identifying that one or two nights of of poor sleep whether it was a five hour night or a four hour night you know out of seven nights was still pretty good compared to where i was coming from and you know i, I tend to get you know focused on the negative and would focus on those two nights and say ah you know why isn't this perfect yet but focusing on the good days and the good nights of sleep was really key for me to just understand and just take in the progress that I was making. That was, that was important for my mindset. Yeah. It, it really is so important to, to make yourself put emphasis on all the good nights because it is so easy. If we don't consciously make the effort, our brain just naturally wants to focus on the problematic nights. You know, I think it's like this survival mechanism. The brain sees, sees that as a problem that it has to solve. So it spends all this time dwelling on those one or two nights where there's been that struggle and completely disregards the five, the five days where you've got really good sleep. So I think it is important to take that step back and recognize and draw attention force yourself to focus on all the good nights rather than rather than the bad i think that is that is key on, on the note of the sleep diary did you when you learned that you'd be keeping a sleep diary did that lead to any like worry or anxieties for, for some people they fear that keep actively keeping a log of their sleep is going to draw more attention and more focus on sleep and it's going to lead to more difficulty sleeping as a result do you identify with that or did you have any of those kind of feelings I definitely identify with that. I, I'm, you know, a recovering perfectionist and still have a lot of perfectionistic tendencies that I like keeping records and logs like that because I like to track my progress. Um, I think the key for that was just to focus on the good nights and to say, oh, you know, and, and I would do averages for myself like every week I would do an average and see oh you know I averaged 
because the averaging for me helped eliminate some of the negative thinking around the bad night. Mm. Um, especially the concept that you had discussed in your course about, you know, five and a half hours of sleep being core sleep. That was also a really key piece of information for me to learn, knowing that if I can get five and a half hours of sleep, you know, that's, that's great. A lot of people do it kind of long-term on that. And that kind of understanding just helped eliminate any anxiety around having one or two nights of bad sleep. Um, so keeping the log and even if I had, you know, some bad nights, um, doing some of that averaging kind of helped lose the stigma around, um, the bad nights. Yeah. And I think, I also think that sleep diaries can be helpful just as a measure of progress. You know, like yeah. it, it can definitely be difficult when you're filling out the sleep diary for the first couple of weeks and you, maybe your sleep is just looking atrocious, you know, maybe that's yeah. leading to more worry, but typically people with insomnia already recognize their sleep as being pretty poor. So I find that the sleep diary doesn't really exacerbate that. But what it does is it draws your attention to any progress that you're making, improvements that you're making that maybe you'd otherwise have missed, you know, and I, I think you drew attention to this, you know, you were able to recognize by keeping a sleep diary, all those good nights that you were having and perhaps the progress you were making over that, over the eight weeks. Yeah. And, you know, I was just kind of remembering back to those first couple of weeks and, I think, oh man, I'm only going to get three hours of sleep or four hours of sleep tonight. And almost looking at it as a failure, like ah, I'm not doing this right. And once I got past that and was able to see some progress on the diary, it kind of helped eliminate some of those anxieties I did have around, mm -hmm. you know, I, th I think to myself, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have a good night of sleep. It's going to have to go in the diary as four hours or four and a half hours. And, you know, that's, that's way off what I want it to be. You know, once I got past those first couple weeks, it was, you know, it was much easier. And I think, you know, having your guidance around knowing that the first weeks of the program aren't easy, you know, they're not designed to be easy or to improve your sleep right away. I think having that, guidance and knowledge was important. Yeah, I think it's important to just emphasize that just like it took time for insomnia to develop and become entrenched, it takes time to kind of unpick it, you know, and implement techniques that help you to kind of undo that and to get your sleep back on track for the long term. That's important to just consider and bear in mind. Right. So 10 months ago, you finished the course. How's your sleep been since then? Um, ups and downs along the way? Um, and how's your sleep? How's your sleep now? Yeah, I you know generally it's it's been much much better, and I'm I'm so grateful for that. And there's definitely been some ups and downs here and there. But one of the things that I also learned in the course was that I've been able to identify some of the causes a lot of times when I've had rough nights. I mean, sometimes for sure it's because of my kids waking me up, and those are clear, you know, disruptions in my sleep. Um, sometimes it's, you know, having more charged conversations with my wife at, at bedtime, which is something mm -hmm. we both try to avoid. Um, but sometimes those come up and, you know, it's harder for me to get to sleep, but I'm able to see the next day or even in the moment of, 
you know, I'm not going to get a lot of sleep tonight. I know, I know the reason. So I don't have the charger anxiety around it that I used to. And, you know, the one thing I've also noticed that's a big change is that when I do have trouble sleeping and falling asleep and, you know, last week was an example. I had a couple nights when I couldn't fall asleep right away. So I got out of bed after about a half hour. I read for 30 minutes, came right back to bed and fell asleep pretty quickly. So just getting up that one time, those couple of nights, you know, worked great. And I was able to sleep, you know, get probably six hours and felt fine the next day. Um, ironically, my son woke up three times last night, which is pretty unusual. He's kind of in this phase now where he's starting to have some nightmares and bad dreams, mm -hmm. which he's about two and a half. And, you know, my wife and I switch off nights with the baby monitor to, to go in with him. And last night was my night. So I found it ironic that <laughs> the, the night I debut on the podcast, you know, <laughs> son keeps me up, you know, woke me up three times. I I probably got five hours of sleep, but you know, my attitude around this versus a year ago, I'd be like, Oh, you know, my day's going to be terrible, but you know, I don't feel that way at all. I know I'm going to, sleep well tonight my wife's got the monitor tonight so i'm guaranteed not to be woken up <laughs> yeah and um it's just a different it, it's definitely a different way of living for sure yeah you know i think the just talking to you about it it's just it's the transformation just the way you think about sleep you know you don't really spend any time worrying or thinking about it anymore you, you're certainly not anxious about it in response to a bad night um and really that's where we want to get you know by implementing all these cbti techniques we want to get you back to that stage where you're not really concerned about sleep anymore you don't spend your days thinking about it or worrying about how your day's going to be um, right. if your sleep is disrupted you can maybe recognize if there was any cause for that you know like you just described of course if your son's getting up during the night it's going to disrupt your sleep but then right. just not responding to it in a negative way um, right and and really that's that's the ultimate transformation you know because you're just back to that stage where you just don't even really think about sleep anymore but anytime sleep is a problem you've got all the skills to just re-implement to get your sleep back on track that's the real beauty of these cbti techniques yeah that last part you said is the real key because anytime there are you know one or two or three tough nights of sleep during a week i know how to get it back on track now i have that have that confidence and experience to be able to do that. And there's always, there's, you know, there's sometimes there's some nights where I can't explain why I can't fall asleep, but I often look at it like, well, you know, my body's just not needing, you know, X hours of sleep tonight, mm -hmm. you know, seven hours of sleep. I only need five tonight or six tonight. And I just look at it that way, move on, you know, move past it. Cause it, it's inconsequential on in the big scheme of things. And, um, but it's, yeah, it's just a different way of living. I mean, my wife and I would sleep in separate beds quite a bit when I was really struggling with it because I didn't want to wake her up and I had, you know, anxiety about waking her up, which added to my own anxiety and sleep arousal of not being able to fall asleep. So I'm able to sleep in the same bed with her now and not have that same anxiety. And that's a, that's a big difference. Oh, I bet. That's, that's amazing. Well, I just want to end with one last question that I think 
is really helpful for everyone listening. Um, so here's the question. If someone with chronic insomnia is listening and feels as though they've tried everything, that they're beyond help and they can't do anything to improve their sleep, what would you tell them? I would say you've got to try this course. I, I, I really feel like I've tried so many different things on my own and, you know, tried, tried a course not too dissimilar from yours from the book that I read, but just having that personal support from you and in combination with the process that you lay out in the course you've designed is so effective. And I, I really can't see how it wouldn't help anyone who's really struggling, even just rock bottom struggling with the worst insomnia. And I've had the worst of just no sleep at all. I've had those nights when I haven't slept or I've gotten one hour or two hours of sleep and, you know, they aren't fun, but you know, this, this course works and just having a plan in place that is, is really proven to help people. It's helped me. I know, I know you've helped many other people and uh, you know, they're, I think not feeling alone was the other piece of this, you know, because mm. being, having insomnia is so, it evokes for me like such a feeling of loneliness. And you mentioned isolation and that, that was some of the worst mental, you know, torture of it for me. It was like, oh, I'm the only one in the world not getting sleep right now. And, mm. you know, just the catastrophizing of my thoughts was, was some of the worst, but having you as, as a connection um, was so key because it wasn't just me trying to do it by myself. Well, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And I really appreciate that I had the opportunity to work with you. I like to position myself more as the guide. I think that, you know, I can give you the suggestions and give you the guidance, but it really is up to the individual to kind of follow through and put their effort in you know, and the clients that are most successful like yourself are the ones that implement the techniques, you know, and give them a chance. Because like you said, during this, during this episode, in the short term, they can be really difficult. Um, so I just like to emphasize that the success is ultimately just down to you because you're the person that implemented the techniques, put all that effort in and had faith in them and managed to come out the other side. I was merely just the guide helping you, helping you along the road. So just make sure that you recognize that, that, that you are the primary driver of your own success. Well, I appreciate it. And I also greatly appreciate you putting the course out there because it's a, it's a big need. It really is. And I think it, it uh, satisfies a need out there in the world that people need and people need that kind of personal connection. You know, it's, it can't be just about reading a book. It's, you've got to have somebody to help guide you. And so I'm appreciative of that. All right. Well, thank you so much again for your time, uh, Jeff, and for sharing your story. I think a lot of people are going to identify with your experience with insomnia and I'm hoping that it encourages them um, that, there, 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 is a, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. They can get past their insomnia. They can get through it um, just like you did. Just, they, just like you got through it, they can too. So thanks again for your time. Absolutely. Thanks, Martin. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. 
If you're ready to implement cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia CBTI techniques to improve your sleep, but think you might need some additional support and guidance, I would love to help. There are two ways we can work together. First, you can get my online coaching course. This is the most popular option. My course combines sleep education with unlimited support and guidance and is guaranteed to improve your sleep. I will teach you and help you implement new CBTI techniques over a period of eight weeks. This gives you time to build sleep confidence and notice results without feeling overwhelmed. You can get the course and start right now at insomniacoach.com forward slash online. I also offer a phone coaching package where we start with a one hour call. This can be voice only or video, your choice, and we come up with an initial two week plan that will have you implementing CBTI techniques that will lead to long term improvements in your sleep. You get unlimited email based support and guidance for two weeks after the call, along with a half hour follow up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep. <laughs>